We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing with Rumi, on page 53 of the book and page 73 of the 451-page PDF, we are at the bottom, beginning with the passage, the very last paragraph that begins, those who truly understand a little. Okay. Those who truly understand a little understand much. Of one thing, many things, of one line, whole volumes. It is like when a group is seated listening to a story, but one woman knows all the circumstances, having been there when it occurred. From the first hint she understands it all. She turns pale, then crimson, changing from one feeling to another. The others understand only as much as they hear, since they do not know what really happened. But the one who knows understands the whole story from even a few words. Okay. So this is also uh, um, uh, a very, very deep point. And this also reflects how, how we approach reality and how much we can take into reality. So to recap, remember last time we were saying that you can, uh, your iman will grow according to your seeking. And your seeking will, will be related to your longing. Okay. And, and, and obviously, you know, Allah Ta'ala is going to, going to control, uh, how much Iman you receive. But the point is that, you know, when you seek, then Allah Ta'ala opens so many doors for you. And so, uh, when you are, for example, reading a news report of here's what happened at about some event, um, let's say at the other side of the country. Okay. And compare that to someone who's actually in the event. Okay. A news report can only capture so much. Okay? Someone who's there is not only seeing all the different events, they're also capturing the essence of the moment. <coughs> and so there's only so much you can gain by learning from books. You do use learning from books as a pathway because the Quran is a book, right? Um, but this goes back to the point of embodying what it is. So I can, like, when people ask me trivia questions about the Qur'an, I always fail miserably. Like, how many surahs begin with such and such? Or, which surah has this letter so many times? I mean, I have no clue about those things. And I'm not saying this out of any nobility. It's just, I don't understand. I don't, uh, I always fail. Right. Um, uh, but when you take the Qur'an from the perspective of embodying it, now, more and more, you're making it your eyes. Right? And more and more, you're looking at the world through the lens of the Qur'an. Okay. And so we do have a teaching, which we may have discussed before, that when you are practicing ilm, when you're practicing knowledge, you will gain other knowledge that is not found in books. Okay. And so, so the goal is to shift from being someone who is just gaining from what is the equivalent of books, okay, to someone who is living in the reality. Now, I'm using that as an analogy. So what Rumi is speaking about here is that there are some people for whom the equivalent of what they can take in is going to be just what you find in a, in a book. Okay. And that's all they have the capacity. And there are other people who are immersed in it. So one of the difficulties I have when I'm reading fiction is it's almost impossible for me, for whatever reason, to immerse myself in the novel. I mean, I've read very, very few novels in my entire life just because I physically can't. Like I was telling people, it took me literally 10 years to get through the first Harry Potter book, you know, picking it up, putting it down. And even now, uh, I can't really uh, 
you know, explain most of it to you. Um, but then you have someone else who is reading the books on the page, but they leave where they're sitting and they're immersed in the world of Hogwarts and everything else. Mm. Right. And in there, that's the realm of imagination. What you want to be is the person who is in, in, uh, in the world of reality. Um, and so part of it is what is on the surface and part of it is what is in the essence of it all. And so it says those who truly understand a little understand much of one thing of many things of one line of whole volumes and so with the Quran and Islamic knowledge in general we have this myth that okay I just need to learn a little bit more as though that's going to give me the secret key that I need to unlock which will transform me Um, but no I mean you can say fairly that at one level, the entirety of the Quran, as we discussed before, is captured in Al-Fatiha, right? If you embody Al-Fatiha, you've captured the whole essence, right? And then, uh, as we've discussed before, the whole of Al-Fatiha is then, you know, uh, elucidated in, you can say, the next two surahs, you know, Al-Baqarah, Al-Imran. And um, more than that, it's basically they're filling in the blanks, uh, uh, and, and so what often is what you need for transformation is you take that little tiny nugget and live it. Just like with hadith. If you look at a room of common Muslims, you know, in Chicago who go to the masjid maybe even periodically, who go to the mosque periodically, and ask them to narrate every single hadith or partial hadith that they can think of, I'm not exaggerating when, I can, when I'm saying that they can probably narrate 2,000 hadith. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you think of all the little bits of hadith that you two guys know, it might be upwards of a couple thousand hadith, and you may not even realize it, right? But then if we ask ourselves, how many of those hadith am I consciously embodying, as opposed to things that I've unintentionally stored just to quote, um, that's the real question, yeah. right? It's and, hard. Yeah, it's, it's I, mean, hard. I mean, I'd say it's hard at first, Right. Uh, once you become, once you get into the practice of it, then that becomes your norm, right? And so, even if you think of the hadith, the forty hadith of Nabawi, which so many people have gone through so many times, um, if you embody them one by one, or even to some degree, sentence by sentence, then transform or transformation is going to happen, right? So this is what we're, this is what we're talking about here. So the others understand only as much as they hear, since they do not know what really happened. And, and so, this is something you also see. Like, you know, when you have five different people who will see a car accident, you know you're going to get five different reports. And some of them are going, to, are, are going to contradict each other. They might even contradict about the color of the cars, right? Because you have all of these filters that are informing how you look at reality. And so part of the goal of growing closer to Allah is to remove these filters, mm-hmm. right? Because they are... On the one hand, they are what you have as a defense mechanism or as a tool to look at reality. On the other hand, they're also obscuring reality for you. So I had a student who texted me a couple days ago who asked, you know, how can, how can I have faith in Allah with all the treachery that's going on in the world? Okay. And, and my response to the student was, you know, uh, maybe you need to have faith in Allah for sanity to deal with all that's going on in the world, right, at one level. But more than that, a lot of times we define Allah according to what we see in the world. Like, how could God allow this? Why does this happen? You want to reach the point where you're defining the world according to Allah, right? Where Allah is the default, which also means he is free to do whatever he wills. He has full authority, full power to do whatever he wills. 
He has full capability of doing whatever he wills, and then from our perspective, changing it all immediately, right? And and then he's also made some promises, and one promise is that there's a day of judgment. Another promise is that no one on the day of judgment is going to be treated unjustly. Okay, so those are promises. And so if you look at the world through that lens, you are looking at the world more closer to reality of what it actually is, um, which then gets into how we talk about the world being a, you know, a test of everything, um, but also makes it easier to cope with what's happening in the world, right? Okay, so the one who knows understands the whole story even from a few words. And so, so you want to reach that point where you can uh, be so in touch with how reality works, you're so in touch with your relationship with Allah, with Allah Ta'ala, that um, you need just a few drops uh, of, of, of wisdom, of hikmah, of, of revelation, and that's what gets you running. All right. Okay, let's continue. To return. To return, when you come to the druggists, they have sugar in abundance, but they see how much money you brought and give accordingly. By money is meant sincerity and faith. The words are imparted according to one's sincerity and faith. When you come seeking sugar, they examine your bag to see what its capacity is. Then they measure out accordingly, one bushel or two. But if someone brings a string of camels, they call the wayman to be, to be helped. Okay. So going back to the analogy of the pharmacist. Um, the pharmacist might have this, uh, whatever it is you need, in abundance. Okay. Um, but they're going to give you according to what you need. So who is the pharmacist here? The pharmacist here is the teacher. Okay. So the teacher or the sheikh has all of this knowledge to give. Okay. But they're going to give you according to what you're capable of taking. Right. So, so you're starting with one teacher, that teacher is going to give you according to you, that teacher with another student is going to give according to that student, right? We have naturally in our desire, you know, our ego, wanting to be able to take everything in. You know, I want to be the greatest, right? But the teacher is going to give you according to what you can take for your benefit. And so what is the money that you've brought? It is your sincerity, your faith, your, your effort, right? Then it says the words are imparted according to one's sincerity and faith. And this translates two ways. One is the teacher is giving you according to what the teacher perceive, perceives you need. But even then you're still filtering. Right? Um, you're still filtering in terms of what you can take in. When you come seeking sugar, they examine your bag to see what the capacity is. Then they measure out accordingly one bushel or two. But if someone brings a string of camels, they call them the wayman to help. Meaning there are some people who, you know, who have a much higher capacity and the teacher may need assistance, meaning the teacher might refer you to somebody higher, right? And so, so what is the overall, again, theme of all of this? The amount you gain is going to be filtered by what's already within you, and the amount you really gain is really going to be determined by how much you're seeking, how much you're longing to gain, right? And this is something, uh, whenever you, people are doing the work of Islam, you have to, for example, be doing tahajjud, right? You have to for a number of reasons. One, to keep it clear in yourself that your intentions are for Allah, okay? Um, because the harder it is for you to wake up for tahajjud, if you are someone who's doing service in the way of Allah, that is going to give you a hint of how much more work you need to do for yourself. Because it's super easy when you're doing the work of, of service to, to the community in the way of Allah, 
or service to Allah, it's very easy to fall into a couple traps. One is to start like counting your successes um, or your perceived successes. Another is to start thinking of yourself as doing a favor to other people. And you may not be consciously thinking of any of this, right? Another will be to seek fulfillment and validation from those people. And those are all pathways to totally fall off the path, right? They're not on their own bad, uh, but they are basically you've opened a door uh, toward a slippery slope. You may not even realize it. Do you think um, that seems something that's consistent with sort of not even Islam, but all sort of uh, fields of endeavor, like uh-huh. meaning like you sort of get what you're willing to put in. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like when I was in school, especially like when I was in pharmacy school, I remember like the kids who, who were like so the people who are calculating their grades yeah. are thinking I need to do X, Y and Z to, yeah. to, to get this grade. Like they almost did the worst. Uh-huh. But the students who were, like, just interested in learning, mm-hmm. like, wanted to just learn, they were the ones doing the best. Fascinating, yeah. Right? And it's because they didn't see it as something that, like, they had to do or, like, I just want to figure out. It was, like, they came with an internal, like, mindset of, I want to know as much of this as I can. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you saw it, like, they mastered that material yeah. at a much deeper level than oh, absolutely. Like, other students. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the experience that I have with some students. There are some students who, who we go through the material, they might even visit me in office hours to, to talk further about the material, right? Um, and there are some students who it's clear all they want is a grade. And then there are some students who uh, it, what comes across is that they're just making things up to account for their low grades, right? Um, and all they care about, all they care about is, is the, the, what comes across is all they care about is getting a grade, but they don't even want to put in the effort for the grade, okay? until, you know, until it's set in that, uh, they were, uh, um, you know, that they were going to get a bad grade. So this is, this is the big thing. You know, like you said, you get out of it, what you put into it and what you put into it will relate to how much you want it. And that's just like the question for a fudger, right? I may have mentioned, um, in a previous meeting, like a, a students asked me, you know, how do I wake up for fudger? And they all acknowledge that if they had to get up for a different appointment, they'd get up, right? And yeah, so, yeah. I, that's the, one of the ways I kind of like, like sort of chastise myself mm-hmm. about it. Because I know if it's work, I'll wake up. Yeah. Like, it's not a problem at all. <laughs> and then for Fudger, I'll be like, you know, the excuses are ready for Fudger, uh-huh. but not for work. For work, yeah. it's like, oh, shit, you can get yeah. fired, let's go. You <laughs> yeah. know what I'm for saying? For like, the night was dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're like Abu Sufyan from the message. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you the night was dark. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, so yeah, and so either you want it or you don't, yeah. right? I mean, there are some things for which we might have, you know, internal difficulties that are obstructing us, but uh, there are many things where either you want it or you don't want it, and either you want it and you get up and go through the struggle, or you give yourself uh, a thousand excuses for why, right? So let's continue. So someone comes along. So someone comes along whom oceans do not satisfy. Another finds a few drops enough, and any more would be harmful. Okay, another point to think about is, is that different people are going to be at different levels, right? And this is the trap that idealists often fall into, that idealists look at the world and people according to how they should behave. Okay? Mm-hmm. The realist is looking at people according to how they do behave. And of course, like the pessimist, would be someone who just has a low sense of, 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 of people. And so, so the fact of the matter is that if you have 10 people sitting next to each other 
And let's say they all grew up together with very similar uh, demographics, socioeconomic status, everything. You're still going to have 10 people who are different levels of faith and different aspirations and different levels of aspirations. Or imagine a family where you have, you know, five kids. Same thing. You know, as you know from your siblings, that um, much of the core is the same in you and your siblings. But there are fundamental differences in terms of what your outlooks are, you know, what, what your goals are, what your wants are and such. And so a thing to keep in mind is that for some people, all they can take is a few drops. They don't have the capacity and you can't look down on them for it. There are other people for whom they can take in oceans and that's still not enough for them, right? And don't be too, don't look at them as the standard. Look at them as what a person can accomplish. That's one of the problems in terms of when people read a lot of these spiritual books. Um, um, you know, you'll get into stories of people who do all these amazing things. Yeah. That's, right? That's a, I think for me that's a big thing because I feel like whenever I see stuff like that, honestly, it instead of making me encouraged, it makes me discouraged. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm like, uh, this is too too much. Yeah. Like, I don't know, you know. Yeah, so like... I, I can't, I'm not capable of this type of thing. Right. Know? I mean, Imam Zainal Abedin, it's said about him that every night he fed a hundred families, every day he did a thousand rakats. Okay. Try to even calculate the time it would take to do a thousand rakats. Now, if we look at that as a standard, then, okay, then we're all going to fail, right? Um, but look at that in terms of what the human being is capable of doing, right? And that's one of the wonderful things about watching something like the Olympics or the championships of sports is... Uh, aside from, you know, rooting for your own nation, you're looking at what is the human being capable of doing? How fast is a human being capable to run? How perfect form is a human being capable to ha have in, in just in, in terms of the, the physical things they do? And so look at those things as how high a person can actually get, right? as opposed to this is the standard. How do you take, how do you sort of take that sort of lesson, I guess, and then, you know, Sort of take it where, you know, I guess what I told you earlier, where I, you know, you see something like that and you feel sort of discouraged. How do you sort of take that and like, you know, use it as a motivation instead uh -huh. of it being something that pushes you back? Because I feel like, I mean, I know ultimately it gets at the core of it all. It's just a decision you have uh -huh. to make, you know, going back to like, do you want it type uh -huh. of thing? But how do you like make it be like when you see something like that, how do you just make it be something that that's like another thing that's pushing you to... Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, I think in some ways it's harder to use for motivation as opposed to using it for um, expanding your, your possible horizons, mm. right? And, and so one way to think about this is think of a goal that you do absolutely want to try to reach mm -hmm. um, um, that is not based on acceptance by other people, right? So it's one thing, you know, to want to have the, the skills of, you know, a basketball star like a Michael Jordan mm -hmm. or LeBron James. Um, it's another thing to want uh, the, the applause that they get. Mm -hmm. If you're seeing the applause that they get, you know, give it up because you're going to ruin yourself, mm -hmm. right? But looking at uh, what they do off camera in terms of, you know, 10 hours of workout a day, mm. then you look at that as, okay... For me to be the Olympic athlete, then I got to put in a 
of thousands of hours mm-hmm. of work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what you should get from that is not so much motivation, but accepting the reality of what it takes for that. Mm-hmm. Right? Once in a while, you're going to have an athlete who is so gifted and talented that they don't even work out. Yeah. Right? Those are the exception. And I don't think those people have longevity. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he's still the quarterback. Cutler? Yeah. Like, I mean, they say like he doesn't, he doesn't even go to practice or something, right? But he gets criticized every single week. Oh, yeah. he's still, he's still a Yeah, he's still a quarterback, yeah. No, that's, the, yeah. Uh, don't, don't criticize that. No. Okay, <laughs> but the point is that, yeah. I mean, wh- whatever his story is, the point is that uh, I think the savant, which is a, someone who has natural intellect or natural talent, mm-hmm. um, does not go as far as someone who puts in the effort upon effort upon effort upon effort, right? So then, I guess following that, I know I keep yeah. going along, how do you then, when you're faced with sort of those sort of those challenges or those roads you, you're trying to sort of conquer, how do you then, what would you use, to, what are like ideal motivations to like, so let's say I, I, I accept the time that's required and I accept yeah. like sort of the dirty, dark business of it all, yeah. like where you have to just, it's, it's a grind. And yeah, yeah. To, so then how do you like, what's a good sort of like a spiritual motivation would you say? Or is it just like, you know, what everyone sort of the well, stock stuff, you know? I mean, the stock stuff, the top of paradise. Yeah. Right, so you already have a palace right now, waiting for you at the top level of paradise. Okay. Yeah, and it's up to you whether you want to live in it. Oh wow! I mean, you're given one life. Yeah. Which means the five minutes that you and I have just lived is gone. Yeah. And and so uh, that can that comes down to to you. Like uh, we have eight doors of paradise. Mm-hmm. Make your goal to enter through all eight doors. Right of which we know what four of those are. So the other four might be, uh, we'll find in scholarly commentaries. Um, so one is the door of fasting, one is the door of charity, one is the door of prayer, etc. Um, so you got one life. Mm-hmm. You got one shot. And so another way to frame that, which is what you, you'll often hear from me, is make it your goal that every year you can look back at the previous year and say, I've improved on X, Y, and Z. And that is entirely under your control. Uh, one thing that affects that is that the older you get, those years fly back, don't fly by faster. So 2016, uh, for me, um, you know, probably feels shorter than however quick 2016 fell for you. Mm-hmm. Just part yeah. of age. No, I, yeah, I definitely feel <clears throat> that. Like, uh, the older I get, the quicker... You know, like like the past two, three years, I'm just like, wait, they went by like way yeah. quicker. Yeah. Way quicker. And you're going to notice you're going to start feeling that way about decades. <laughs> Frick, man. Yeah. And then you will die. Yeah, and then you die, yeah. So, so... Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's... Yeah, that's I mean, so like now I measure a lot of things that I've done in decades. Yeah. yeah. I've been teaching for a decade or so, mashallah, yeah. right? I've been friends with this kid for, for four decades. I've been yeah. friends with them for two decades, you yeah. know? It's been over two decades since I've uh, uh, graduated from college. Wow. So, yeah. And so the key point overall, going back to here, is that different people have different capacities. And you use the people who are of higher capacity as an indication of what can be accomplished. And look at people of lower capacity as not something to be frowned upon. Because at the end of the day... Everybody you meet is just trying to get through the day. Every single person you meet is just trying to get through life. Every person you meet is looking for reasons to wake up. Right? 
And so they may make choices that are absurd and harmful. And, and you can pity them. You know, like to say, hate the sin, not the sinner. I mean, that's all well and good uh, as a step towards not judging people. But the point is that rather than look down on them, be grateful for what Allah has given you. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, let's continue. This applies. Um, this applies not only to the world of ideas, sciences, and wisdom. It is true of everything. Property, wealth, gold, all are unbounded and infinite, but they are imparted according to the capacity of the individual. Who could support an endless supply without being driven mad? Do you not see how Majnun and Farhad and the other famous lovers took to the mountain and desert for the love of a woman when they were filled with a passion beyond their power to control? Do you not see how Pharaoh, when empire and wealth were showered upon him without end, laid claim to being a god? Okay. This is also very, very deep. So, related to the question you gave before is, you know, in any field of endeavor, you get out of it what you put into it. Yeah. So whether it's property, wealth, gold. I remember, again, back in college, I was taking a business class, and the teacher was referencing a recent study where they studied uh, something like 40 millionaires under the age of 40 mm-hmm. to find out what was common among all of them. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that was common among all of them is that they all want to be millionaires before they turn 40. Mm-hmm. They all had different you know, uh, uh, work ethics, uh, different other aspects of their lives, but that seemed to be the common point. Right. And, and so, it comes down to, to what your goals are, and then that's what you'll work towards. The hard part of our era, because of screens, like each of us is looking at this book through screens, is that our era, we're so dominated by our, by our imagination, that our imagination can just as easily destroy us, or it can give us energy. Right? That so much of what we do is in the realm of imagination, so much of our self-perception is in the realm of imagination, mm, mm. that it becomes very easy not for us to be honest with ourselves. Okay, about this is who I am. And this, I mean, and it goes hand in hand with celebrity culture. Celebrity culture is the realm of imagination, that you're looking at someone on a stage, and without even realizing it, you're imparting things to that person that are not part of that person. So yeah. either you're going to laud that person, yeah, yeah, yeah. or you're going to be super skeptical. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's, you and, see that all the time. It's kind of crazy. And, all of that is, is still the realm of, of uh, imagination. So that's what makes it especially hard for our era. Every era obviously had imagination. Um, but I'm saying that's almost our mainstream. Mm. Right? And so, so who can support an endless supply without being driven mad? Another aspect of this dunya is this dunya is all limits. You always have uh, a limited amount of time. So, in a way, you have less time than what you really wish you could have to do everything you want. Okay? Uh, you will potentially have less wealth than what you really, really want to do. Okay? Um, less attention, less means, what have you. Um, what you perceive, I should say, uh, you have less than what you want or need. And thus, you, you try to get, get uh, more. But this whole universe, the design of this whole universe, is limits. And so, think about how we describe paradise. Paradise is a place with no limits. Right? It's unbounded. But it's saying, in the nature of this dunya, if you have an endless supply, you will lose your mind. Right? And so you have Majnun, who's one of the most famous characters in, in, our, in our Muslim love stories. This is Layla and Majnun. And Farhad, I'm not as, as uh, I'm forgetting right now. But Majnun's story is that he is so in love with Layla that you know he's going mad 
living in the forest to the point that Layla finally comes to him and says, you can have me, I'll marry you, what have you. And he says, leave me alone. I'm too busy being in love with Layla. <laughs> does, does this also go into um, the earlier point about like people afflicted with boundlessness in, in that sense, right? Is, is this how, like, why people say, like, when, when you talk about forever or, like, I think we had a conversation earlier about how, you know, when you're younger and you think about, yeah. like, Jannah and you think about it being forever, it's, it's, it's like hard. you can't, you, you, it's like... Destroys you. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, like, you're like, wait, what? Like, yeah. it just, yeah, it's like, it's actually kind of like, uh, and I, I hate to say this, but it's kind of like spiritually deflating. Can be, yeah. yeah. Can even be, it can even seem boring. Yeah. Like, at some point, you might feel like, you know... At some point, you're gonna stop caring. Yeah, right? yeah. Like uh, I have a, 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 I had a student some years ago, who his neighbor, um, uh, I think was one of the original guys in Microsoft, mm-hmm. right, uh, or some company like that. You know, over Silicon Valley. Or this was in the Pacific Northwest, and then he cashed out, and so he had all this wealth, and he had no need to work, and so the way my friend was describing it is like this guy literally did. Every single hobby you could possibly do. He even had a rock wall in his back. And he just reached a point where he got so bored he had to go back to work. He had, like, he did every hobby you could possibly do. Mm. And he just got bored. Right? And and it's a neat idea to have that much wealth and capability, but that's where he landed. Mm. And he eventually just went or went right back to work. And, and so one aspect is that a way at whatever age I was able to cure that for myself about paradise the paradise it still has days, right? And so it still has days, and then I would assume nights. And so the next day is actually going to be more overwhelmingly uh, better than the previous day. To the point, you, it's not possible to get bored. And Yeah, like I, that's how I sort of dealt with that, as well as thinking to myself, like, well, being bored is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created me to mm-hmm. be. So obviously those sort of limits or whatever, they're going to be removed in a yeah. place like paradise. So, you know, it's not like, this. that's just another plane of existence mm-hmm. that I can't even cope with or yeah. think about right now. Yeah. So, Yeah. The other side of that is when also when you're young, it's without realizing it, you often, I mean, assuming you had like just, uh, say to speak, the normal suburban type life. Um, and what I mean by that is this idyllic life without much tragedy or anything like that. I mean, everyone has struggles in their lives, right? But I I read that. So I thought you were gonna say no. I have no struggles. I have no struggles. Yeah. So no, I'm not from the suburbs, Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So so, it's easy to not realize that you're living life as though you have infinite amount of life. Mm. Right. I think when you're young, it's easy to do that. Like it's very easy to think of. I think that's also why when you like you said earlier, when you get older, time moves so much faster. When you're younger, it just seems you're like you're, it's like you're kind of in a mm-hmm. sort of like a dunyawi paradise mm-hmm. in that way. It's very like idyllic, very mm-hmm. you know like slow, very pleasurable. Mm-hmm. You know, even like your your like the bad stuff seems like pleasurable as mm-hmm. it go. Like it, once it passes, you're like oh. Yeah. You know what's interesting? Like the concept of paradise, <clears throat> like infinity is uh, it was overwhelming for me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. forever is scary, man. Mm-hmm. But like. The other thing is, like, that always, like, sort of for me, I was like, but no one ever wants to die, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's like, yeah, sure, you, like, as a concept, uh, as a concept, infinity might be overwhelming, mm-hmm. but no one's like, I'm ready to end this tomorrow, Yeah. right? I mean, unless you're going through, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. 
have like the real problem, but I'm mm-hmm. saying in general. And so like, I guess that's sort of the way I rationalized it. I was like, well, it's not you don't have to tackle it all at once. Mm-hmm. You just don't have to like in 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 the hereafter or whatever. You don't have to confront a certain reality that, you know, you have to confront here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you're not going to be hit with the same sort of like struggles of age of life. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So like, it's a different. I don't know. It's not an easy experience to grasp. Yeah, no, it's another yeah. another plane of reality. So, so here, here when you've been given um, infinity or seemingly infinity, the end result is that you'll probably drive yourself mad. So the pharaoh was given an endless supply of dunya. And what was the end result? He eventually started thinking of himself as God. Mm. The children of Israel, who were liberated from the Pharaoh, were given all the luxuries of the world. And then they reached the point where they were saying to Musa, we're not going to believe you unless we see God with our own eyes. So you had Pharaoh who began to see God, and then you had the children of Israel who, or, or who Pharaoh who thought he was God, and you have the children of Israel who demanded to see God, meaning they'd seen every miracle, and it was almost as though what's left, except to see God himself, but then they made it a criteria, or not a, a criteria, a prerequisite mm. for, for, for belief. Mm. So that's a different way of, of losing your mind. Right. Okay, uh, let's continue a little bit more. Yes, indeed, these people have faith, but they do not know what faith is in, what that faith is in. In the same way a child has faith, it will have bread to eat, but they don't know where this bread comes from. It is the same with all things that grow. A tree turns yellow and dry of thirst, but it doesn't know what thirst really is. Okay, so this is also a, a, a wonderfully deep point, mashallah. Uh, so all of us have belief in Allah, okay? Uh, but it takes effort to reach the level that Maryam, alayhi salam, was at, where she truly understood that everything she had was coming from Allah. And so that's the story of Maryam, alayhi salam. She's sequestered. And Zakaria is bringing her food, and she already has food. Well, where'd you get this food from? Allah gave it to me, right? And so at one level, you're looking at that as something miraculous, or that her iman is so high that food is, is appearing for her, uh, however it is you want to look at it. But the point is that <clears throat> think about what things make you worry. So suppose you're working and you lose your job, and now you have worry, how am I going to provide? That is different than someone who loses their job and they know they're still going to be able to provide but they have to go find where the sustenance is going to come from. That's the story of Hajar where Hajar is there in the valley and she needs to find food, sets her child down, goes looking in every direction. She knows she's going to find food. She just doesn't know where. She knows she's going to find water. She doesn't know where. But she knows she has to get up and find it. And where does she find it? Underneath her child. Her child is, is kicking and screaming and that unleashes the well. If she didn't set her child down, she never would have found the well, which was right literally underneath her feet. And, and so she had to go through the process of going to look for the food, and, and perhaps unintentionally, it, um, you know, her son's kicking became the vessel through which her food came from, her, her zamzam came from. See what I'm saying? This reminds me of that. Dark uh, Ramadan, in that, remember they had that preface in one of his books, he was talking about the lesson he got from uh, Paulo Coelho's uh, The Alchemist. Okay. He says in order for us to like sort of find what we're looking for, we need to like go out and then come back to like mm-hmm. to return. 
And then it reminded me of that. And then, then in the book, The Alchemist, the, the guy, he like, you know, he goes on this big journey looking for this thing. And then he comes back and it's right where you started. Like, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like right where you left it type of thing. Yeah. And I was like, well. Yeah. Cool. And so, I'll read this. Okay. 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 Um, and so, so the point is that um, in both of those cases, in the example of Maryam alayhi salam, she had such a level of faith, i.e. such a level of understanding of reality that she knew it was all coming from Allah. It wasn't just her intellectually feeling it. Hajar alayhi salam, she knew it was all coming from Allah, and the added effort, the added point is that she knew that she had to go find it, go look for it, and it will be found. He will show it to her. The how, she doesn't know. And that goes back to Maryam alayhi salam, when she's told she's going to have a son, um, she knows the sunnah of Allah, that to have a child, you know, you have to have husband and wife, cohabitate, etc., and then, and then pregnancy. She didn't have any of that, so how is this going to happen? Well, it's easy for Allah, and okay, fine. Right? Meaning it doesn't follow the sunnah of Allah. So Hajar knew the sunnah of Allah. The sunnah of Allah is that you have to go find, go look for the work, go look for the sustenance. But the mistake we often make is that we think the sustenance is coming from the work. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the sustenance is coming from the job, from the wealth. But if Allah Ta'ala is the one who's controlling my risk, then it means that it's hidden somewhere. I just got to go find where it is. Right? Yeah. It's a search. Imam, Imam, uh, Imam or Sheikh Joe Rapper shared something recently about that. Like, basically, I think it's a hadith of the Prophet where he said something along the lines of, you know, like where, like a slave of Allah, like he, like, no quicker than he sort of like, searches out on a path to like go f- you know find Allah's sustenance like yeah. Allah will open up ways or like yeah. these doors to to him you know mm-hmm. so basically like for like Muslims the sort of normative mode is go and work and mm-hmm. you'll get get it mm-hmm. you know yeah okay let's stop here so we are at the bottom of page 55 with the quote that ends a tree turns yellow and it dry of thirst but it doesn't know what thirst really is and we'll actually continue with this paragraph inshallah next time uh, we'll repeat it because there's more to discuss. Yeah, the, okay. the last line is, is mm-hmm. very, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. All right, subhanakallahumma bihamdika Subhanakallahumma bihamdika Subhanakallahumma bihamdika Subhanakallahumma bihamdika Wa akhir da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.